It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. Welcome back to the Mile High Report radio podcast post-game show, Victory Edition. I don't even like it. I don't even know what to say. Ian, we, the Broncos won a game. Yay. Yay. Not only did they win a game, but as I said in my winners and losers, so that's what it's like to see a team overcome adversity. Most of us thought we had a better ch- a better sh- a chance spotting Bigfoot. But somehow it happened. Despite Vance Joseph's best efforts, the Broncos brought the winning feeling Back to Broncos country. Oh, it's nice, right? It's kind of nice. Like, I, I mean, we're Ian and I are going to do some positivity this week. I, I think that it's we should probably start off with that. Let everybody know that we're going to try and be positive. We don't want to confuse people, have them be like, "Wait a minute, what? Is this the right pod?" Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be positive, somewhat positive. I mean, it's it won't last long, but that's okay. I, it feels good to win. But I have to um, – I'm going to temper the excitement a little bit with what I tweeted out a little bit ago just because I, I feel like this is the sentiment in Broncos country, and that is uh, I'm glad the Broncos won, but they're still going to fire Vance Joseph, right? Right? Yes. He's he's Asta Luegos. Bye-bye, Vance. 
because that's perhaps the biggest concern with this team. I, I mean, do, what do you think? Are, are they still? I, maybe we should talk about the game first, but that's let's just keep that in our mind. They are still going to fire Vance Joseph, hopefully, no matter what. Dramatic pause. I noticed because that. We're just waiting. We're waiting. He is going to do it, right? Elway is going to do it. I mean, we're not going to be suckered into another year of believing that Vance Joseph could be a good head coach. Like maybe, possibly. You know, I th- I think that the the biggest aspect of this game, and you you started off with it, and it is important to mention, the Broncos overcame adversity and won this game. But the adversity that they overcame was once again the bad decisions of the head coach. And I don't want to take anything away from the team because they won this game. The Broncos players went out on this field and won. They went out onto a soccer field and they won a football game. And they did it despite the decisions of Vance Joseph going for it on fourth and one early. If they had kicked that field goal, they never would have needed a game-winning field goal at the end. They, you know, they have the they have he has those moments, right? Well, I'm not going to kick the field goal. I'm going to go for it. It doesn't work, and now you're now you're losing by two. Uh, not challenging on the two point conversion where Case Keenum was clearly over the line and should have been awarded two points on that two point conversion. That means that the game would have been tied, and the scramble at the end would have been to get the game winner again, but. Missing that game winner means overtime instead of the game is over and you've lost. So when you're looking at this game and you're seeing all the stats and you're looking at the performance of guys like Cortland Sutton, who I think had kind of a like a somewhat of a breakout game, and Philip Lindsay, who continues to be incredible, uh, I think he was the best running back on the field today. You still have that. You still have the detriment of the Broncos coaching staff, and you see it, and I see it. And I think Broncos country sees it. Does John Elway see it? There's two things that I have to point out before I I list off some of the winners from this game. And it's actually pretty remarkable. Because of this win, it's the first time the Broncos have won a road game in the AFC West since December 2015. And it's the first time they've won a game in L.A. since 1987. That's lo- that's many many moons ago. That's so long ago. I, I <laughs> we we had kind of talked about that. You know, the the 2015 one is is the one I think that gets me the most. the The NFL has been in and out of Los Angeles so many times. I mean, how many opportunities have they had to play in Los Angeles recently? So I guess there's that. But not winning a road game in the AFC West since December of 2015, that was all the way back in the Super Bowl year, which we try not to talk about, but we end up talking about invariably all the time. That's too long ago. <laughs> like that's, that's ridiculous. That is an incredibly awful stat that has been corrected, I suppose, but in sort of a meaningless kind of way. Now, some of the winners that I think 
come from this game. And the first one is Broncos country. A hat tip to all the orange-clad fans in the stands on Sunday because they played a huge role in the Broncos winning that game. I mean, it was basically a home game for the Broncos, even though it was in better weather. It's nice. It's nice to be playing at home on the road. Is that is that a phrase? Well, it is when the Broncos play the Chargers because it's what happened in San Diego and it's good to see it carry over to Los Angeles. The other the other big winner I think is Philip Lindsay. I mean, as you said he was the best running back on the field even with running with one of the best running backs in the NFL in Melvin Gordon. Philip Lindsay it's just he's so much fun to watch and he has so much fun on the field and you can just tell. But despite all the stats, his two touchdowns, his 11 carries for 79 yards, his four catches for 27 yards, I think the coolest thing Lindsey did was he brought back the Mile High Salute. It's always good to see. Which he did after his second touchdown. And then to continue the, the rookie theme going, Bradley Chubb, he picked up his ninth sack. Of the uh, of his rookie season, with his sack of Philip Rivers, he now sits six sacks away from breaking Javon Curse's record of fourteen that he set in nineteen ninety nine. And if Chubb is able to set the rookie sack record, he absolutely should be the defensive rookie of the year. But the best thing to come out of this the whole Chubb game was a line from Dan Fouts early in the game when he said Chubb was in his face. <laughs> oh, so, so good. It was so, it was, it, I, did you, okay, I want to know, tweet at me if, if, if this happened to you too. Did you hear that and then have it kind of, for lack of a better term, hit you in the face sort of after the fact because (laughs) I heard it and then it didn't register for a second. And then I went, wait a minute. Did Dan Fouts just say that? Because yes, yes, he did. As my wife said, after it happened, you didn't think of that one. No, we, how did we miss how? Okay. Wait a minute. How did we get to this point in the season and have never said that Chubb was in his face. We've never said that. We haven't. So many up. I I'm embarrassed. Flopped that- it out there and expected <laughs> it to perform. <laughs> oh my goodness! Dan Fouts taught us something. That is. Um, I think the best thing oof. for CBS to have done at that point was to pan to Ian Eagle as soon as Dan Fouts said that. Oh. I want. I you ha- you have to wonder if I'll bet Ian Eagle had the same reaction I did where he was just kind of doing his job and then went, wait a minute, did you just say that? <laughs> I, you have to imagine during the commercial break, Iron Eagle's like, Dan, you can't say those kinds of things. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, how many times has Philip Rivers had a chub in his face? Well, at least a couple today. Chubb was all over him. Chubb was all over Philip Rivers. He had a great game. I mean, he not only yep. got his ninth sack of the season, he had seven tackles, four solo, two for loss, and two quarterback hits. I mean, he he's just 
he's getting better and better as the season progresses because you can start to see him figuring it out, I think. Oh, I totally agree with you. And the other thing that I think benefited him was the Chargers, I think, made a concerted effort to go away from Von Miller. Von Miller has been sort of a, a, a thorn in Phillip Rivers' side. Uh, they talked about it. He has more sacks on Phillip Rivers than any other player has on a starting quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, I think it was, is it 16 now? Cause he did get one. Von Miller had one tackle in this game and it was a sack of Phillip Rivers. And I believe that the reason for that is they game planned away from Von Miller, which helps Bradley Chubb immensely. And also sort of makes it look like Von Miller didn't have any impact on the field. But we, we've talked about like a shutdown corner eliminating half the field. I think Von Miller really eliminated half the field for for the Chargers. They just decided not to go towards him, and that was a big deal. I, I thought that was interesting. Um, before we go any further, you were talking about Philip Lindsay, and I, I just want to make mention of, of one thing that I thought was really cool as – a Colorado native. There were two players on that field today that had an impact on the game that are legitimate starters in the NFL or players in the NFL that are both from Colorado in Philip Lindsay, obviously, and then Eckler for the Chargers. You know, he's he's a kid that went to Eaton High School, uh, which is just just a few miles away from where we grew up. And so that is a really cool moment to have that on the field. Uh, it doesn't happen often, right? I mean, Colorado doesn't have a ton of representation in the NFL, so I really was um, – I, I didn't think about it until during the game, but that was really cool. So, The the thing about Von Miller's sack is it was his 100th of his NFL career, and he's the fifth fastest player to get to 100 sacks. And he became the third player – in NFL history to record 10 sacks in seven of his first eight seasons. The other two guys to do that, DeMarcus Ware and the Minister of Defense. Anytime you are on a list with Reggie White. That's a pretty good list. That's a that's a hell of a list. That's a pretty good list. You're, hey, you're not on the list. Oh, Oh, you are on the list. Because really the list says Reggie White. I didn't know you could be on the same list as Reggie. That's really good. And then DeMarcus Ware as well. I mean, come on. Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, and there you go. So um, To continue the, the rookie theme going for the winners. Yeah, let's keep going. I had to put Royce Freeman on there because it was nice to see him not only back on the field but respond the way that he did. Mm-hmm. And that one-two punch of Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman – is going to be dynamic, hopefully, for years to come. And I he only had seven rushes for 23 yards. But to get a touchdown and to see and watch these two guys, they don't look like rookies. They don't run like rookies. And the best thing about it, they don't fumble. They hold on to the football. Well, I wouldn't have said that. I'm, I'm not. Come on, man, with the jinx, you're just gonna throw that out in the ether like that. Ah, just I got a little chill going. I'm not a, not a religious man, but you know, be tempting the fate of the football gods there with that. No, you're right though. Ball security, ball security is huge, and I liked, 
I like that they used Royce Freeman the way that they used him today. I'd like to see him get more touches. But first game back after an injury, getting him into the flow of the game I thought was great. And it was it was good to see, right? It was good to see that he was back in the flow of the game. Get him that touchdown, make him feel like he's he's back into things. It was a good way for them to reincorporate him into the offense. And, you know, he had an impact. He had a positive impact. Um the other guy I think we have to mention in terms of the winners is Brandon McManus because right. he had a chance to to win the game against the Texans with a 52-yard field goal, and he he choked. He yeah, didn't he blew do it. his job. But he he redeemed himself with his 34-yard field goal to give his team the win on Sunday. And it, it it's good to see a guy respond that way and to redeem himself because it it, it has to feel good for him. But the other surprising thing of this, and another winner for me, is the Broncos' offensive line. They didn't give up a sack, and they didn't give up a penalty. That's a hell of a game for any offensive line. But for one that is ravaged by injuries and new starters, that's a major win. And to do it against a team that has Joey Bosa and Melvin Melvin Ingram on the other side and has a hell of a top, uh, a hell of a front seven, that that. That is a very good showing by that offensive line because I thought that when Joey Bosa was going to be in the lineup, I thought it would have been a long day for that offensive line, and and it wasn't. So kudos to the five guys up front for the way they they stepped up and played. Yeah, I thought I have to agree with you. You know, it was interesting because I think one of the things that happens is, and we saw it a little bit with Royce Freeman. When you're when you're gone for a little while, it takes a few snaps to get back into the game flow, and it takes a little bit to get you back into, uh, you know, sort of that what it's like to be in an actual game in the NFL. For Joey Bosa, who was gone for the entire season, um, getting back into the flow of things, I think that was harder for him because he was gone for so long. I think it was fortunate for the Broncos that they played them this week instead of next week because next week I think Bosa's back you know at full speed because he's you know he's been hit a few times right they talk about you got to get hit to get back into it he's been hit a few times he's he's going to be back next week I think whoever the the Chargers play going forward uh, he will be a bit of a handful which includes the Broncos at the end of the season so um, I don't expect the Broncos to have as much luck against him at the end of the season because I think he will be back into sort of actual game speed at that point. But your point is well taken. That offensive line, I mean, the Max Garcia news broke just as I was coming on the air with uh, first and 10, getting ready to talk to Ryan and Mace and and Steve Atwater. And uh, that's what they wanted to talk about. And it was funny because you said something that I thought was really interesting. If you're worried about Max Garcia going down being the detriment of your offensive line, you've got bigger problems. And they didn't have bigger problems. They fixed it. I don't know what they did, but they fixed they fixed it, at least for one game, right? And it, and it's huge. But one guy we haven't talked about, and it's the last winner that I had, was Case Keenum. It wasn't pretty, but Keenum once again didn't turn the ball over, and he led the Broncos on a game-winning drive. Does he get credit for that? Should he get credit for that, or is the bar so low because he didn't turn the ball over? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to give him credit for the ball security, and I think you have to give him credit for the the game winning drive. He made some good he made some good plays, made some good throws. That last throw to Cortland Sutton was on the money, and allowed Sutton to really get up the field. But he he led him perfectly. Uh, it wasn't overthrown, which Case Keenum is wont to do at a t- at times, and it uh, you know it got the Broncos into not just field goal range, but close enough where. Uh, unlike against the game against Houston a couple weeks ago, where you're 52 yards away and it's not a it's that's not an easy kick to make, you're you know in that 30 to 35 yard range, which is a chip shot for Brandon McManus. So um, he orchestrated a really good drive at the end of the game. Now they got lucky with the amount of time that they had left, and I think it's interesting to note just how often. Philip Rivers messed up in this game, especially at the end. That last that last uh, pass that he threw, that he should have just taken the sack. That cost that allowed the Broncos to have a, almost a full two minutes at the end of the game to go down and and score. When if he takes a sack there, they have you know the, they can let the clock run all the way down to like a minute fifteen at that point. And then, then it's more it's more difficult, and you probably don't see Brandon McManus kicking a field goal from that close. So things really broke the right way for the Broncos in this game. And that last drive was great, but it was all set up by by Philip Rivers just choking at the end of the game, which I think all in Broncos country will agree is always a beautiful sight. Yeah, is there is there anything better than watching Philip Rivers choke? Tom Brady. I mean, those are the two, right? For me, I used to hate, and I know Jay Cutler. Whatever. Did you didn't you used to hate it when he when he would jaw at Jay Cutler from across the field? Like, what are you doing? I hated that. I hated him so much, and I but still now, hate him. Knowing about Jay Cutler, like we do, yeah, it's kind of hard not to jaw at Jay Cutler. I mean, he doesn't care though. He doesn't. No. Which is why he doesn't wear pants. And yeah, he he just doesn't care. He just you know, don't care. That's that's Jay Cutler for you. Wow, we got off on Jay Cutler there. That's a weird way to say that. Anyway. Speaking of losers, here are the here are the, it's only three of them, and I didn't include Vance Joseph, because as as I told you before we started recording, I needed to take a break from Vance Joseph. But he really didn't have an impact on this game despite his best effort because he would have, he did everything in his power to make sure the Broncos lost, but the Broncos are like, you know what? We're not going to let you screw this one up. We're going to win it despite you because that's what they did because for all intents and purposes, they should have lost this game. I think nine out of 10, nine out of 10 times the Broncos lose this game because Vance Joseph is that incompetent and he's that horrible. But you're not going to talk about Vance Joseph. <laughs> but I'm not going to include him in my winners and losers because they won the game despite him. The three losers I did have were Jeff Hireman, the Broncos covering tight ends, and the officiating. Oh, the Broncos man. covering tight ends is the big one because Antonio Gates is 38 years old. By the way you watched Denver cover him, he looked 28. I mean, I'm 38 years old. I feel like I look 28. That's fine. I'm good with that. <laughs> no, they they can't cover tight ends. They just they since like the 80s, they have not been able to cover tight ends. 
they've never been able to cover the tight end. I don't know. Maybe they need to put Chubb on the tight end. I, I have no idea. You went there. I did. I it was I don't usually what, do that. It's interesting that you say that they haven't been able to do it since the eighties, because those who remember the nineties and the early two thousands will remember a guy named Tony Gonzalez. Oh yes. And I had this debate with my mom all the time. We never understood why the Chiefs just didn't throw it to Tony Gonzalez every single play. And then you'd remember because it's the Kansas City Chiefs. But, I, I mean, you're not wrong. And I think we can end this talk of Sua Cravens being the savior to cover tight ends. Oh, we were so excited. We were. You, me, everybody. We were excited. He was going to cover the tight end. Not today. He looked he bad. He still hasn't covered Antonio Gates. He doesn't know who Antonio Gates is, and I think that's a problem. And then the officiating. I mean, it was interesting. Speaking of my mom, the first thing she said was, such a poorly officiated game. And it was. It was horrible. Yeah, I mean, missed calls. Bad calls. Bad calls. It was just there was. calls. It was, it was not well done on their part. And it was interesting. And, that's because, and it's par for the course for the NFL. And yeah. as I said in my winners, losers, at some point there has to be accountability from the NFL. And I have said this before. Instead of using like the pool, instead of using the pool reporter, which is from the, the it's set up by the NFL and the NFL writers, you have to make the, the referee open to the entire press. You have to do that. You have to make them answer for the stuff they do on the field. If a coach has to do it, if a player has to do it, you have to make the referee open. Yeah, open to, to questioning to what unfolds sure. on the field. Why did why did you call that? Yeah, it's no, the same I, thing I with a player. With why did you do that? Why did you call that if you're a coach? Why did you throw that flag in that situation as a referee? And I get it's a slippery slope. Because it's a judgment call, and if you open it up, anything yeah, can happen. That's a but, tricky one, yeah. But I think there has to be some sort of accountability. They have to answer for what they do on the field. Yeah. And I think you also need to get someone in there, like Al Riveron. For whatever reason, the guys they have heading the officiating are just morons. And I think Dean Blandino, now that he's not in that situation – can actually see what he didn't see when he was in that position. Same with Mike Pereira. Yeah, almost like you're too far into the forest to see the trees, and so you're you're kind of struggling in that position. I understand that. You know, it's it's tricky because you the officials really what you want from officials is is anonymity. You want them to be uh, invisible on the field, and that doesn't mean they shouldn't be making calls, and it doesn't mean they shouldn't you know they shouldn't have an impact on the game in the way that they're supposed to. What it means is when you when you get done watching a football game, you shouldn't you shouldn't be talking about the referees. You shouldn't be talking about the officiating. And the hard part about that is officials are human, right? They're going to make mistakes. Officials are um, are are they're people too, right? And so where is the line? Where do you draw the line? Uh, I I don't know what that is. I think that making like the head official uh, available for questioning at the end of the game. To a few reporters, I think that you're right. The pool reporter probably is not enough, but overdoing it that gives them too much. That, that gives them too much uh, 
exposure. And I think the NFL needs to figure out a way to hold them accountable without putting them in front of everybody and, and making them the target. I think that's the, that's the concern is when you start to put officials behind the podium at the end of a game and start at, start peppering them with questions, you make them an easy target. And the idea is to not have the officials be a target. If, 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 you know, schmucks like you and me want to debate about how good the, the officiating was in a game or whatever, that's one thing. But then to have guys who are playing things back and, and, and doing video review and, and then asking questions of, of officials, I think, like you said, it's a slippery slope. I don't know what the solution is there. You, there does need to be accountability. And this game was poorly officiated. It, it just was. But asking the officials to stand up in front of the press and, and explain why they were terrible, that to me is a little bit different than asking a coach to stand up in front of the podium and say, yeah, you know, I should have kicked that field goal on fourth and one, but I didn't do that because I'm Vance Joseph and I don't do those things because that's football 101. That's a, that's a whole different ball game. That's his job. His job is to stand up and represent the franchise. That's not really what you're asking officials to do. So I, I don't know where you go with that. There has to be a, a happy medium there somewhere. I just don't know what it is. I'm not solutions-oriented on this one. I just like to pose to put forth scenarios and hypotheses and throw them out into the ether because I, like I said, it, it's a slippery slope. Oh yeah. And and I, I think what they do need, I think one thing that would help is to take it away from officials who oversee officials. Yeah. You need, because, I mean, because it, it's oversight, a right? Mm-hmm. Because it's a fraternity. You, yeah. you, you want to stick up for them because you were in that situation. Yeah, you need somebody you need somebody to be on the outside who can monitor and can you know I mean I think I think what we're really talking about here is, is some type of I don't want to say punishment but but really being able to reprimand somebody for doing their job poorly and it's really hard to do when you don't have when you don't have the proper oversight when you don't have somebody who's there that isn't an official but is is able to monitor what officials do. I I agree with that. I just don't know I don't know who that would be or or how you would do that. You don't want somebody who's completely outside who's never done it and has no idea how it works. You you need somebody who understands the ins and outs of things. But if they're too far, you know, if they're too close to the official to the officiating crews, they're never going to reprimand anyone. No one's ever going to get in trouble for just being terrible at their job. That's why I think it should be like a former head coach or a sure. former general manager. I think either one of those would know in that situation what the what the correct call is. And I think the biggest issue I have is the NFL still doesn't know what a freaking catch is. The fact yeah. the, the fact the league doesn't know the most important aspect of their league is kind of a big deal. And until they get that figured out, I mean, if it looks like a catch, it's a catch, right? I mean, mean, that's if it looks like a catch, it's a catch. I don't know. And I I will say, I thought that Emmanuel Sanders was a catch. I thought that was a catch and a fumble. Yeah, I mean, he caught it. He maintained control. So I'm trying to go through what was said because, you know, he said caught it, maintained possession. He didn't take three steps. Got one foot down, got two feet down, but didn't get the third foot down. But you only need two feet inbounds for it to count as a catch. catch when you're going out of bounds. But it wasn't a football move. Scenario, 
in every scenario, if the ball isn't knocked out of his hands by the defender, it's a catch. It's a catch. That yep. would have been a catch. It would have been a catch. Now, so I wonder, is, is the catch is if he if he goes to the ground and the ball comes out? See, here we are debating a catch again. Yeah, I almost it's like they don't know what a catch yeah, is. Nobody knows what a catch is. I don't know. I don't know what a catch is. I mean, I know what I know what a catch isn't, but that doesn't help us here. At least I don't think it does. So, all right. What else? What else happened today? The Saints. Whew. Holy smokes! I mean, your Super Bowl pick is solid, and uh, I'd, say, I'd say it's looking pretty good right about now. Yeah, laissez les bon temps rouler because the Saints are are rouleing, if you will. Oh, my mom will be so mad at me about that. <laughs> and the Eagles' season's pretty much. Hey, their season is just as over as the Denver Broncos. But I think the thing that that might give them a little bit of hope is what happened to Alex Smith. Oh, my goodness. And the, and the Washington Redskins. And here's what's ironic. There is a, a columnist for the Washington Post who tweeted out, the injury to Alex Smith happened on the same day. 33 years. From the infamous Monday night football snapping of Joe Theismann's leg. That's just creepy. You know the other interesting thing? Same final score. It was the same final score as that game. That Joe Theismann's leg was shattered into a gajillion pieces. So That's just creepy. It's I mean, it's an incredible coincidence. It's unbelievable that it happened that way. And and then and Joe Theismann even tweeted about it. <laughs> Which I don't know. I, was, I almost felt like maybe Joe should have stayed out of it. I or, or I don't know. Maybe Joe shouldn't have said anything. Did but Lawrence Taylor tweet about it? I don't know if Lawrence Taylor is coherent right now. Like I haven't heard anything from Lawrence Taylor in a long time. So At least he didn't change his last name to rhyme with with Heisman. That's true. He didn't. That uh that's legitimately that's a legitimately fair thing to say. And then we won't really know much. Did You know what I, I didn't actually see because I wasn't paying attention? Did the Raiders win or lose today? They won on a last-second oh. field goal. That's right. Okay, so I, I was right. I did hear that in the background as I was making dinner. The, there, there you go. The Raiders won a game. That sucks. And what – there's a team that's kind of – Staying under the radar right now because all the talk about the Steve or the all the talk about the the Saints and the Chiefs and the Rams, mm-hmm. the Steelers are quietly becoming the Steelers again. Yeah, that Ben Roethlisberger comeback was uh, that was pretty legit. I mean he he brought them back. He and Antonio Brown they did what they do, and uh, that last second touchdown to win the game was was pretty incredible. Um, I did watch that today. They because they don't match up with Jacksonville. Jacksonville is a great matchup for the Steelers because they they can they play good defense against Pittsburgh for the most part. They're physical. They can run the football, and that's what you need to do to beat Pittsburgh. And even that wasn't enough. And if I'm the Chiefs, the last team I want to see in the playoffs is the Pittsburgh Steelers, because that's an offense that can keep pace with you. But they have a defense who can actually probably shut Patrick Mahomes down enough 
to win well, a playoff game. And, and they already played each other once this year too. So they, they have, they've already sort of witnessed Pittsburgh and Pitt, you know, they've seen each other. They've, they've seen each other. They've, they've visibly seen each other. So that'll be, as we all know, one. as we all know, there's two seasons for the chiefs, regular season playoffs. Yeah. And we know how it goes in the playoffs for the Chiefs. So don't hold your breath, Chiefs fans. Um, you know, I, I do want to say one thing about the, the win today because it's interesting for the Broncos. I want to bring it back to our to our Broncos because we are we are kind of on that positivity kick right now. Um, but I you know, I was texting with my little brother and he I think he summed up the sentiment of this game and 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 really what the rest of this season is probably gonna be like for us. And he he said um, yeah, this win, it, it, it's kind of like the feeling you have when you have finished the dishes and then rinse out the sink. It is a good feeling, but by tomorrow, the sink will be full of crap. And I just thought that was such a funny tweet or a, a text from him. And I just am stealing it from him. I told him I was gonna. It's it's the sentiment of the game to me. And that's, that's how I feel right now. Feel good. The sink is clean. It's all rinsed out. Dishes are in the dishwasher. Dishwasher's running. But when I get up in the morning, I got to empty the dishwasher. I'm going to have to do the breakfast dishes, and it's all going to be filled with crap again. The one thing I will say is what this win does is at least keeps the hope of history being made not being made. And I think that's the big thing. That's the big takeaway from this is that if it keeps the Broncos this Broncos team from being the first team in 46 years to suffer back-to-back losing sins. I'm all for the wins. I will be positive. I will be Pollyanna. I will, I will do whatever it takes. If it avoids the Broncos doing something that hasn't been done since 1972. Yeah. I'm with you. If, if, if they can avoid going, you know, Having back-to-back losing seasons, something that hasn't happened in in my lifetime, your lifetime, uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, as as long as it doesn't save Vance Joseph's job, right? I'll put the caveat there. I, I don't want Vance Joseph back, and I I know that uh, you're not going to talk about Vance Joseph, but I am because he is my one big takeaway in this game. Again, he tr- he did everything he could to cost the Broncos the win, and this this week they went out and got the win anyway. And that to me was was huge. It showed that the team has talent. It's got ability. It's got young players that are hungry and want to win. It's got old players, veterans that know how to win and they can win despite the guy who's making the calls. So they can they can go out and get wins when they need to. You bring in a good head coach with some with some good coordinators, imagine where this team could be next year. But they've got to get rid of Vance Joseph first, so it's a, it's a little nerve wracking. I just go back to that same question: They're still going to fire Vance Joseph, though, right? And that's the catch twenty-two. You don't want this team to make history, but you also don't want to give Elway any excuse to keep this incompetent boob as the head coach. Yeah, and so then where's the line, right? What's the line? I think if it's if it's seven and nine, the Broncos goes seven and nine he's gone for sure right seven and nine or worse he's gone 
Eight and eight. Dicey. It's dicey. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on who becomes available, maybe. Maybe it depends on, I don't know, how John Elway's feeling in the morning one morning. Aside from hungover. Aside from that. And then if it's nine and seven, they pull out nine and seven. I don't know. I don't know how you get rid of them if they come back. If they come back and go nine and seven after all this, how do you say how do you say goodbye at that point? I think the good thing is is there's little chance of them going nine and seven. Not likely. I like it. All right. But the one thing I we do have to ask is because we have something special planned for our next podcast. So this was a test run. Yeah. Were we positive? Were we positive enough? Yeah, did we Do you feel like we were? Did we reach the positivity threshold? Like I didn't want to overdo. I wanted to keep it realistic, but realistically natural. natural. Yeah. Natural positivity, like recognizing where we are as a franchise and as a team, but then also um trying to find that the good stuff in that, trying to find those silver linings. I think I think we did a good job. Hopefully people will agree with that. Hopefully one person will agree with it because she'll be the ultimate doc. Yeah, because I would really like to pass this test. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.